Today's episode is supported by small luxury hotels of the world. Two years of pandemic pandemonium has fostered an environment where people feel stuck in a comfort zone of uncertainties and anxieties. According to a recent One Pulse survey by SLH, 64% of people cite that travel is one of the top ranking things to help us step out of our comfort zones. Travel, they claim, helps them feel energized, rejuvenated and inspired. So, Small Luxury Hotels of the World is encouraging us to step out of our comfort zone and has partnered with emotional health advisor and best-selling author of Manifest, Roxina Fusi, to help lead guests on a journey of self-development. Roxy has created a complimentary meditation audio and an SLH Manifest Masterclass series at Select Properties throughout 2022. There's also a host of experiences at its 520 plus hotels, curated with the aim to help guests to expand their holiday horizons. So how about sleeping beneath the stars at the Whitmore Hotel in Barcelona? A once in a lifetime evening jungle tour while staying at the Hotel 360 in Costa Rica? Or a scuba diving adventure at the spectacular Frances Beach while staying at Canoa Exclusive Beach Bar and Resort in Brazil? Ease yourself into a holiday headspace and visit slh.com forward slash travel comfort zones to find out more and be inspired. Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today's guest is Britain's undisputed queen of breakfast telly, a national treasure who for the last 12 years has been the host of her self-titled show on ITV, Lorraine. It is, of course, Lorraine Kelly. Lorraine became a journalist the hard way, working on local papers before working as a researcher on BBC Scotland, where bosses told her that because of her Scottish accent, she'd never get a job in front of the camera. Oh, how she proved them wrong. Joining TV AM, she went on to report on some of the toughest stories of that era, from the Dunblane massacre to the Lockerbie bombings, with her characteristic compassion and empathy, before joining GMTV and the sofas of breakfast television. This episode is one I've been especially looking forward to because, in a way, Lorraine is occasionally my boss. From time to time, I moonlight as a TV producer and I work on The Lorraine Show. I'm often asked what Lorraine is really like, and She is as lovely as she seems on the telly and on this podcast. And that's reflected by her team who've been alongside her for so many years. What you might not know about Lorraine is that she is fanatical about travel. She has been practically everywhere and is really intrepid with her travel choices. Today, she takes us from the islands of the Outer Hebrides to the frozen landscape of Antarctica, from remote Botswana to the jungles of Uganda and much, much more. Right, there's a lot to cover today, so let's fasten our seatbelts and get started. Lorraine Kelly, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. It is such an honour to be speaking with you today. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good. And oh, travel, I could talk about it for forever. It's, it's, it's my passion, really. Um, I'm not very good at, at stuff. You know, I, I don't spend money on like designer handbags or, or jewellery. I've only got one pair of earrings because I've only got one pair of ears, but I tend to spend spend money on travel, you know, on seeing the world. Um, that's that's what I love to do. On the experience, on the experience. Yes, making memories. You're working so hard every day on our TV screens, but what people might not realise is that when you're not working, you really are taking the time to maximise your travel and you go on these epic adventures in your time in your time off. Yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, I, I'm very lucky. I love my job, and the, the the bit that you see on TV is 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 great. But I love all the kind of like um, research and you know doing my homework, as I call it. And I kind of do that for travel as well. You know, when I when I go somewhere, I tend to find out all about it and um, you know about the history. And I always, when I go somewhere, especially obviously if they speak they speak English, of course, if they've got um, English radio stations or 
English local newspapers, you know, written in English. I tend to mm-hmm. buy them. But it's ah, quite so it's cool. quite nice to read, especially in especially in places like Africa, you know, to, to read the local newspaper. You don't know anything about these people you've never heard of, most of them before. But I, I just love to get a flavour of, of, of where I am. Um, Immersing it, it just enhances it. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Well, we are going to embark on a voyage now through the seven chapters of your life's travel diaries. And we'll start at the very beginning. Chapter one is your earliest childhood travel memory. Well, it would be, I was brought up in the east end of Glasgow. And, you know, it was, it was um, I suppose some people say it's a rough area. I certainly don't think it was. Um, but, you know, because everybody was in the same boat. But we were luckier than most because uh, my dad had a van he fixed. He fixed televisions. He was a TV engineer. So mm-hmm. obviously, Daddy was in television, yeah. Um, and <laughs> he had a van, though, which meant at the weekends we could travel. And even back then, you know, when I was small, that would sort of when I was born in 59, so this would be the, the early 60s, we traveled. I mean, it might only have been up the road to Lohomond or to the Ayrshire coast, but we did travel. And I do remember when I was five getting you wouldn't believe how dressed up we got I mean my mum got me a pair of white gloves as a five-year-old to go on the plane for the first time we flew to Paris because my aunt had met this lovely um, German man that she'd fallen in love with who happened to be in the German army and they were based just outside Fontainebleau so we went there and that was a massive deal but that was in the days where I mean air travel was you know hardly anybody I mean it was for the absolute elite um, and I don't know how my mum and dad must have saved up all their, their money to take us. Uh, but it was such an adventure. And I just remember thinking that being a, you know, air hostesses, as they were called then, cabin crews, they're called now. I just thought that must be the most amazing job in the world, you know, getting to be on aeroplanes all day long. But I do, I do remember that really vividly, but also those amazing holidays, you know, and, and sort of like, I suppose, cheap and cheerful and bed and breakfast and things like that, but how great they were. And even then, you know, my, my dad would tell us stories about where we were going and, you know, explain everything. And and my mum and dad always had books and magazines and newspapers in the house. So we were great, we were good readers, you know, I, I was reading before I went to primary school. So I think that enhanced it as well. And that probably sparked off a love of just being curious about the world. Yeah, that's so nice that they instilled in you that, that sense yeah. of curiosity and, and love of travel that's kind of Absolutely. in you from a young age. Mm. I love the, the, the I love to picture you putting on your white gloves. I love the idea of getting dressed up, dressed up for, for flying oh, because, of course, some people still do get dressed up for, for flying. And I look at them in the airport queue with envy that they had the time <laughs> to like put, you know, put people oh, who wear heels to fly. A lot of people still do. I mean, I'm such a slob no. on planes now. <laughs> Me too. It's a tracksuit. Let's be comfortable. That's the yeah. thing. You just want to get some shut eye, especially on a long haul flight. Remember when we used to go on long haul flights? I miss it. I really miss it so much. Oh, but it's coming yeah. back. It's coming yeah. back. It'll be good. Have you got any plans for a longer adventure? Oh, so, so many plans. I want to go back south. I want to go back to South Georgia and Antarctica because that was an amazing adventure. I mean, it was absolutely yeah. phenomenal. It really was. Um, and and Asia, I've, I've, uh, my daughter lived in Singapore for many years and mm. my brother is still there. And Singapore is such a great base to see so many other countries. But I want to yeah. go, I also want to go to Mongolia. I want to go to, I want to go north as well. You know, I've not been to to the, the Arctic region really. You know, I've, I've kind of been in, been in the Arctic Circle, but it was years and years and years ago. But I want to do all of that. There's just so much to see and so much yeah, to do is. and it's time that we've not been able to travel it's just kind of fueled that wanderlust hasn't it yeah very much so very much so mm. so going back to life up in Glasgow it was a job at 17 at your local newspaper that really started your trajectory in journalism is that right that's right I was supposed to go to university I was going to go do Russian and English and I would have been the first one in the family to go to university and that was a big big deal and mm. um, you know because I would have been a very working class family mum wanted the photograph <laughs> on the mantelpiece you know with the funny hat on and the scroll <laughs> uh, and all of that so how did they feel about you you not not going well, and taking this job interestingly they congratulated me at the time it was only years after that my mum said it was only after my brother gosh it must be six years after because my you know I'm six years older than my brother when he went to university I mean he was you know, very very bright very clever and um, and my mum did get that photograph on the mantelpiece and then, <laughs> and then she did tell me that they they were disappointed but they would never show it you know they would never put that pressure on me and they knew that journalism was what I wanted to do and that was the road yeah. that I wanted to go down so 
and they were glad for me and of course it, it, it all worked out in the end yeah um but yeah well, that's they, great they parenting that. isn't it really I think so. Well, yeah, I do sort of like... To be so supportive. Supportive and putting your own wants and needs and desires, if you like, ahead of, you know, just get rid of that and just support your child in whatever they want to do. And um, I think that was... Because they were babies when they had me. They're only in their teens. They're only 18. Oh, and that's really young. Really, yes. really young. But because they were so young, I think they... And, and very sort of young at heart as well. Like my, most of my friends, my contemporaries, their mums and dads were like a different generation. So, you know, their mums and dads weren't listening to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, you know, Dusty Springfield in the early 60s. My mum had a, a, a beehive and then she had the little mini, mini dresses, you know, and all of that. Mm. So it was great. You know, I, I grew up surrounded by all of that, which was which was lovely. And you went in the van with your parents to these parts of Scotland. I mean, obviously, we we, we know that you love Scotland. I mean, some listeners might not realise that until relatively recently you were commuting down from Scotland to yeah, every week too much too much <laughs> I know I know I did that for years but that that kind of reflects your love of Scotland doesn't it yeah <laughs> and also family you know also oh, yeah. family you know my husband was, was up there for a long for a long time and then now we're, we're back down south but I always will travel I mean one of the places that I I mean you know there's just some places that, that pull you and you you go there and you think wow okay I'm really happy here I feel that I don't know. It's almost like you've lived there in a previous life, if you believe in that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and Orkney is like that for me. Orkney's my, I mean, I love it. I go every single year. I would move there tomorrow if I could. Um, it's the most beautiful, uplifting, stunning place. Uh, so much to do, so much going on. Um, so, yeah, my, my job, when I, when I um, moved to the BBC and then was told I couldn't get a job on here because of my Glasgow accent hilariously oh. BBC Scotland but it was a long time ago, a long time ago. <laughs> and then I got a job at TVAM and we travelled a lot because my job at TVAM was covering news mainly you know obviously yes. that's what I was there for a news correspondent but also you know features and travel pieces so we would basically sit in the office and where can we go where would be amazing where would you know and, and we could come back and have all these incredible stories so we would go to so that's when I first went to Orkney back in the mid 80s uh, and Shetland and all the western isles so how was the journey to get to Orkney it's, back then? it's a doddle it's an Is absolute it? it was a doddle then and it's really a doddle now I mean if you fly it's basically if you're coming from London it's London, London Glasgow or, or Edinburgh or Aberdeen and then just a wee hop up to Kirkwall or you can drive up and get the ferry across. There's two wee ferries you can get from Johnny Groats or you can get the other one from Scrabster that goes past the old man ahoy. It's it can, the Pentland Firth can be a little bit rough though, can be a little bit rough. You did the, the ferry this year? Yeah, I, I love doing that actually, but yeah. both are great. You know, both are absolutely fantastic and very and very easy. And in Orkney, they've got the shortest scheduled flight in the world between two wee islands, Westry and Papa Westry. And it can, depending on the wind, can take you 59 seconds. <laughs> that's my kind of flight given that I actually don't really love flying I might sign up for that one have you, have you done it oh yes absolutely absolutely it's it's fantastic you know there's no in-flight entertainment apart from looking out the window at the glorious scenery you know it's it's wonderful you don't get served a snack or anything and you're, you're, you're up and down before you know it it's it's just terrific really good so Bring bring to life Orkney for me. Haven't been there. Like when you land, what does oh. it look like? What does it feel like? The light is astonishing. If you're an artist or a photographer, I think you you love the, the light. It's very green and it's quite gentle compared with Shetland. Shetland's much rougher mm -hmm. um, and much more Scandinavian, I think. Orkney's like a little kind of island on its own, but it's also very sophisticated place you know that the people are, are dressed very well a lot of the you know like fashionably I mean if they want to be um the main town of Kirkwall is absolutely beautiful it's got a massive cathedral um, and a beautiful beautiful high street the, the whole place is just so friendly as well thriving art the culture is fantastic they have a big festival every year the St Magnus Festival um, and there's lots of music and poetry and writing and, and, and mm. it's just you know classical music as well as traditional music and all kinds of music um, there's just so much going on the sense of history though is huge like from Neolithic history uh, all the way through until you get to the First World War and the Second World War. You know the poster, Your Country Needs You, Kitchener? Yeah. It said yeah. your country. Well, he, he actually was killed um, off Orkney and there's a big memorial to him. 
Um, his, the, his ship was hit by a mine um, oh. during the First World War. And then the Second World War, of course, there's so much history because of, uh, that's where the, all the ships were. They, they had to build these Churchill barriers to stop the U-boats coming in and oh, the, the barriers wow. link up all the wee islands now and there's an amazing place this is I kind of this kind of sums up Orkney for me because it's so different unusual and fantastic and um, the Italian prisoners of war got a couple of Nissan huts and sort of bolted them together and then painted the inside like a chapel it's called the Italian chapel you can go see it now it's it's incredible that and it's amazing. so beautiful it's like you're in the middle of Italy you go inside and it's like how did these you know and they made like uh, the the light, you know, the little lamps out of old pieces of scrap, and just brilliant. It's it's amazing. The culture is amazing. You know, the, the craftsmanship. I got a um, one of the world famous Orkney chairs that they make by hand, and it's got pride of place in in my kitchen. I love it. I sit there watching my husband making the tea with a glass of wine in my hand at the at the weekends, and I feel as if I've got a little part of Orkney with me. Um, it just is. It's just fantastic. I mean, if you like bird watching, if you like walking. The food is out of this world. Um, yeah, yeah, you get Amazing me talking about it now. I'm so glad I'm going very soon. <laughs> and the air, the air is just good for you. The air is lovely. And there's two distilleries as well. I mean, what's not to like? What's yeah, not this to like? But we've, you're yeah, selling me on it It's so beautiful. Much. It's beautiful. But we've been lucky a bit. We've been to the Outer Hebrides as well and been to St Kilda a few times. That's an amazing place to go because that was a, an island sort of a way out in the West where the next stop really is America. Uh, it's yeah. a tiny little rock, really. There's the St Kilda, then there's Rockall, and then there's America. Um, and that got abandoned in the 1930s. And people had to come off. The, the population was dwindling and couldn't really support themselves. We've been there a few times. That's magical. That's an incredibly eerie but fascinating place. And that's what's so great about the job, though, because you get to go to places like that. And then you go back to visit them yourself, which is really good. How wonderful. Well, let's pause there and move on to chapter two. That is the first place that you fell in love with. Gosh, the first place I fell in love with, I think, would probably, I mean, certainly Orkney, as my heart is with Orkney, that's for sure. But a place that I just, you know, further afield, I think would have to be probably Singapore. I went Mm -hmm. to Singapore in the the, the first time in the late 80s. um, And loved it right away I mean it was kind of it was the first time that I'd been to the Far East and I think if you are going to go to the Far East you're probably better just to dip your toe in Singapore first of all because Mm. it's um it's incredibly safe and it's I mean most parts of the if you're you know if you're sensible most most parts of the world are safe if you're sensible um and you, you know you do your but Singapore's another level of safe isn't it I mean it's really safe I mean that's yeah. yeah That's why as an anxious mother, when my, my, my daughter left after university and she went, to, went abroad, she went to Singapore. I was like, oh, you. <laughs> she would, you know, she, she could walk home, you know, like we'd say bye-bye at like midnight and she would just walk back to her flat. You knew nothing would happen. She would be absolutely fine. She couldn't, I wouldn't want her to do that in any city in the UK. Mm. Um, I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't. Mm. I'd be worried about her. But um, unfortunately, that's the, the way things are. But yeah, Singapore's a great place to, to start. I've seen enormous changes because when I went there, they hadn't sort of developed the whole bay area with that amazing hotel that looks like a ship that's the floating on three big tires. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is, that is something else. Actually. I went to that. I stayed once. I don't know that I would stay again. It was a bit like Vegas. It's enormous. I mean, it's yeah. fantastic. And a spectacle and you should go once in your life um, and the shopping round about it oh my goodness it's just crazy but I prefer a smaller place you know a little bit smaller I think because as well I know it so well now I know Singapore so well um, that I, I just I just I just love it I just love everything about it the food the culture everything and the fact that you can say right I'm going to stay in Singapore but you know this weekend when I'm there I can go to Bali or Thailand or Vietnam yeah, you know Ro- so Rosie went lucky. everywhere just a bit yeah just about every weekend she'd be away somewhere and you know I'd be sort of like you know in the co-op in Slough and and, and she would be you know in the beach in Cambodia <laughs> this is amazing or she, what was the place she she loved Taiwan loved Taiwan oh, I, I've never been great I'd food to go. scene there from because yes, I have some friends in Singapore will. as well and ah yes, all the food. food I love the Singaporeans love their food so much that they are literally eating their breakfast and thinking about their lunch yes <laughs> I just released a Singapore special actually of the podcast and oh, I, I had Tom it. Kerridge on 
um because oh, he I loves love singapore him. yeah who doesn't yeah and he he went he got me like completely sold on going just to go on a tour of all the hawker food stalls the hawker stalls yeah they're mm. brilliant aren't they and just that's what i love about singapore you know you can go and you can go for really posh cocktails and a very very posh meal somewhere you know at the top of uh, a big multi-story you know they've got lots of diners up there and restaurants up there but then you can be on the street and just have some sati and it's brilliant you know for a couple yeah. of dollars and it's just yeah yeah that cool contrast. With, with Rosie living out there for for that length of time you must have got some good kind of insider recommendations and tips that she uncovered are there any places that you'd like tell people if you go there's this really cool place that you must try once absolutely um there's loads of restaurants that she told us about i mean the the, the hawker stores obviously that's you know that's the main thing all the best shops in orchard road to go right. to okay. um but also also little places like you know there's really tiny islands that you can go to and get ferry across and they're, they're that's really good as well and um, sentosa i quite liked it's very man-made and it's quite disneyfied but I quite like Sentosa. It's like it's just across the, the bridge or you can get the, what do you call those things? I don't really like them. Like the cable <laughs> Because you're, you're up high. Yeah, so I don't yeah. like cable cars. <laughs> I don't know why. I just go funny. And then... Is Sentosa the kind of beachy island? Yeah, 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 it is. I like it. You know, I think it's great. And it's just across the way. And it's, again, everything is so accessible and so easy. Uh, yeah, and, and I loved I love things like the botanical gardens. She told us lots of walks to go on and, and lots of little sort of, chic areas that you can go with all these wee trendy bars and pubs and restaurants and I love that mm. I think it was Duxton she was in I like that place that was really good but yeah just there's something for absolutely everybody you can have there's so many different holidays going on so many different yes. holidays yeah. and I love the fact that in one street you would see a church a mosque a Buddhist temple a Chinese temple in the one street, you know, the way that everybody, you know, so many, it's, it's such, such a melting, a melting pot, pot mm. but there's no unrest, you know, there's no, there, there's no real, there's no real problems. I'm sure like everyone else, they have a few, but it's, everybody just gets on with it. They're Singaporean first and they just go on with it, which is, which is lovely. Are you, do you, do you feel sad that you haven't lived abroad somewhere? Yeah, I would have loved to have done that. I mean, I, I went straight from school to work, and then that yeah. was that. You know, once yeah. I was once I was a wee hamster on the wheel, I never really, <laughs> I never really did. But having said that, that's the thing with journalism, isn't it? I know, but because of the job that we do, you do get to travel, and you do get to find out more about places, and you do get access, mm. perhaps that you that you wouldn't get. You know, that mm. that 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 certainly was when we were in Antarctica. We got to probably a lot of places that we might not have got to otherwise you know the zodiacs would have taken us took us into places that they maybe wouldn't have taken everyone um just to show us certain things or or, or or to make sure we see certain things because we're writing about it or taking photographs of it or filming it and um, so i do think you get a better a better access and that's i mean you can't you can't buy that you know it's amazing yeah. absolutely amazing I, I never forget how lucky we are being able to do that it's wonderful Today's episode is supported by the Kensington Hotel, part of the renowned Doyle Collection and Irish family-owned hotel group. You might recognise the Kensington Hotel from my Instagram. It's where I was lucky enough to interview Sir Trevor MacDonald. I interviewed him in one of the newly refurbished suites there. And recently I held my launch dinner for this podcast season in its townhouse restaurant. An unforgettable night in an unforgettable venue. Needless to say, I'm a huge fan of the Kensington's home away from home vibe, which feels more like a beautiful private residence than a traditional hotel. And it has so many chic food and drink offerings for any occasion. You can head there for a lovely afternoon tea, dinner in the townhouse, catch up to one of the cute porticos or a cocktail in the super hip K-Bar. Each of the eight door collection hotels are in landmark buildings in unrivaled city locations with their own distinct personality authentic to the local neighbourhood. I love the Marlebone Hotel, home of Dalloway Terrace and the Coral Room. And a few years ago, I had a beautiful stay at the Merion in Dublin, which is truly one of the finest properties in the city. So for bookings and for more information, head to doylecollection.com and get inspired. Thank you to the Kensington Hotel and the Doyle Collection. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Chapter three is the place where you learn the most about yourself. Well, I've wanted to go to Antarctica since I was a kid. Again, it was really? my dad. He inst- yeah, he instilled a love of astronomy, bought me a telescope when I was teeny tiny, and also um, an, a great interest in explorers, you know, the explorers of the so-called heroic age, um, mm. Ernest Shackleton being my absolute hero. Your number one. I mean, you know, oh my goodness me. So obviously, I've always wanted to go to South Georgia. That's where Ernest Shackleton, the boss, as he was known, um, that's where he's buried. Um, and there was this fantastic opportunity to go on a, a small-ish expedition. I mean, it was called an expedition. It was much grander than that. You know, we, we when we think about what Shackleton suffered, you know, and we were sitting there having a glass of wine, uh, you know, <laughs> while looking, watching the icebergs, it really wasn't quite the same, but it was in a fairly small boat. And we went from um, Ushuaia in Argentina mm-hmm. uh, across Drake's Passage, which it is naughty. That is that's rough. That it, that is rough. We How were long does lucky. that take? It wasn't it wasn't too bad. It was only about a day and a half, I think. Probably okay. it was just at night time. It was um, yeah. I got thrown out the thrown out the bed in the cabin a couple of times. Really <laughs> that rough? Oh yeah. Have you got a yeah, strong constitution rough. for motion? Thankfully, thankfully I have. But even I was finding it and during the day. You just have to get a fix. It once we once we got through that. If you if you fix your eye on something, then then you're all right. But and and I used to go up to the bridge and stand outside. It was freezing, but mm. that certainly you're so cold that you don't really think about this. <laughs> I was okay, yeah. and I'll never forget my first sight of an iceberg. That was just, I mean, it, it was just incredible. And this this journey that we went on was following in a Shackleton's footsteps. So it was following where his ship. The endurance, which they recently just discovered the wreck yes, of the endurance. Dan I can't Snow. believe that they managed that. Talk about oh that. my goodness, that was huge excitement, huge excitement. So we kind of followed, we didn't obviously get as far as that because you know that would have been too far. But we got to the peninsula, we got to Elephant Island where they managed to row the rowing boats to, and then he went from there to South Georgia so that he could get help at the whaling station for his men to save them all. I don't know how they did it in this teeny tiny wee boat, the James Caird. It was amazing. But we, we followed that and then got to South Georgia and I was able to pay my respects at his grave. It's tradition that you have to drink an enormous glass of whiskey to toast the boss. And it was good actually tradition. beautiful. Yeah, a very good tradition. It was a really beautiful day. I mean, it was very snowy. The, the whole grave was covered in snow. There's a wee baby seal at the bottom, which is so cute. Um, oh, but it was one of those amazing days where the sky is blue. You know, and that's beautiful azure blue. It's just gorgeous, mm. um, but it's freezing. Against freezing the cold. white of the snow. Oh, it was. I mean, it was. It was. It couldn't have been more beautiful. It couldn't have been more perfect. And we spent quite a lot of time in South Georgia. We spent probably about four or five days there, going around various different um, inlets and various different places. So 
millions of, of king penguins, uh, which I would, could watch all, all day. I mean, I just sat down and just sat watching them for hours. It, it was like a film watching them. It was like watching people. It's like being <laughs> in a I David Attenborough documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I felt as if I was in a David Attenborough documentary. So that was it. That was astonishing. And then on the way back home, we stopped off at the Falklands, which the Falklands, it's Scotland with penguins. It's mm-hmm. Scotland with penguins. Obviously, you know, the sea is colder, um, the mountains are higher, um, and it's a bit more wild. But I certainly, again, felt very at home there, very at home there. And that's a place I need to go back to. I need to go really? back there. Um, How interesting. Because I only so scratch the surface, you know. That it, you feel I know. Home. That's, you're, you're right. It was that thing that I thought, gosh, we couldn't really get further away from right. where I am. And yet, I do feel very at home. It's maybe like New Zealand is the same. I mean, I got to New Zealand and I thought, I feel as if I'm in Oban. In Scotland, it felt very, and there's so many Scottish people there anyway. Um, So it's funny how you can almost come back, you know, go as far away as you can. You're almost coming back round again. That you you feel, you know, you feel at home. But Antarctica was astonishing. I mean, there's nowhere, obviously nowhere like it in the world. Um, And I'd love to go, I'd love to go back. I'd love to see the explorers' huts because they're still there, you know, where they made their base and, that would be incredible, but yeah, it was that 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 felt really special. There was one night when I was just standing, I was up at the top of the the wee boat on my own, um, and I was just looking out, and all these uh, the sun was just kind of going down, and all these black and white dolphins were going past, and it was oh like they put goodness. a show on for me. I didn't yeah. film it, and I didn't take a picture of it, but I've got You're it in, in my the head. Moment, yeah. <laughs> it that's was the great. best way. It was just great. Oh, it was it really was. It made you feel quite small, and that's no bad thing. You know, when you're when you see nature like that, and you see such a, a an, an inspiring and awesome place, and think, wow, you know, it makes you feel that, that we're quite we're quite small human beings. You know, we really are. Yeah, <laughs> even amazing. if if you're not religious, it must be a very kind of spiritual experience. Yeah, it's spiritual. Being it is, and I'm like not that. really like that. Yeah, I'm not really like that. But I absolutely got that. Really, really did. The quiet, so quiet, so mm. so quiet. So few places that are that quiet left in the world now. Well, I, I guess the only other place is probably the, the opposite. You know, the, yeah. the Arctic, I guess, would, would yeah. be. And again, I've been to Alaska, which I loved. When we went to Alaska, it was really weird because it was really warm. It was really hot. I'd gone there with every, I mean, honestly, like Nanook of the North. I had every, you know, like <laughs> 10 layers because, you know, I thought, right, okay, this is going to be like Antarctica, so I really have to. And it was actually very warm. And the mosquitoes were the size of small small sparrows. You know, it was I've, I've never known any insects like it. You know, the you know the kind of um, horrible midges that you get in Scotland? Imagine yeah. them enormous. Wow. <laughs> that that that's not very appealing. Were you there in the summer then? <laughs> it was the summer, it was August we went. Um, I still loved it. It was still really interesting. Yeah. The history was was interesting. Yeah, we flew to Vancouver um, and then we picked up a wee ship and we went to Juneau. Because uh, that's you know the capital of Alaska, but you can only get there by plane or by boat, um, which is bizarre yes. because there's a big glacier behind it, yeah. um, and explored around <laughs> there. But again, we we just kind of nibbled around the edges. We need to go back because we never got right into the interior or right up to the very very top, um, and that would be fascinating. Um, but I've read so much about it. It's amazing when you've read so much about somewhere, you know, like I did with Antarctica and everything, and then and then you go there, and sometimes it's not like what you thought. Antarctica was more than what I thought it would be. It really was. Um, Alaska, I think I need to see more of it. It's massive. It's absolutely huge. The, the wildlife there. Wildlife is great. I mean, the wildlife in Antarctica is incredible, but the, the wildlife in Alaska too was fantastic. You know, loads of whales, mm. bears. Oh, my goodness me. Loads of bears. And at that time, they were all they were eating the salmon, but they were just sucking out the roe of the salmon and then throwing the fish away. But they were huge. I mean, we were, we were, we were quite disturbingly close. <laughs> but it was yeah, okay. <laughs> that's the thing about Alaska. You can just get, you do I feel know. like you can get so close to these amazing animals. Incredible. As long as, you're, as long as you treat them with huge respect, then you're fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. <laughs> Thinking of learning the most about ourselves is chapter three. Obviously, you have on your show dozens of interesting and inspiring people each week. 
So I was, you know, I was thinking a lot about your guests and, and, and when I was asking my listeners, you know, what they wanted to hear ask you, you know, a lot of them also want to know all about different people that you've interviewed, sure. your favourites and your least favourites and things. Um, thinking about, yeah, learning the most, is there somebody who comes to mind who you learnt a lot from interviewing on the show that comes yeah. kind of to mind at the moment? I've learned loads from all the guests that we've had. I've learned so, so much. Um, Buzz Aldrin, the second man in the moon, just, you know, 80 odd years old and still wants to go to Mars. I mean, that is truly what a legend. incredible. And Sir David Attenborough, I just wanted to sit at his feet and, and listen to what he had mm-hmm. to say. That was an that was an honour. I mean, that's kind of like interviewing the Queen, you know, it's, it's of that level, yes. isn't it? It's of that level. It's, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. somebody that I absolutely loved talking to was Serrano Fines, you know, the explorer, because he is so mm-hmm. funny, so matter of fact, you know, it's like, so yes, there was that time I was climbing up Everest and I had the heart attack, but hey, oh, it was fine. <laughs> oh, there was that time, you know, my, my fingers were frostbitten, so I toddled down to the yeah, garden I just shed and off, yeah. I just cut off my <laughs> finger. You know, and it, it, was, it was all kind of like, so matter of fact, all these, you know, and, and that time I did seven marathons and seven continents in mm-hmm. seven days. And I, you just look at people like that and think, wow. What a life you're having, you know, and and it's great. That's yeah. what I, I love about I, I love about what I do because you're you're interviewing so many so many different people. But he is truly inspirational and has just written um, an amazing book about Ernest Shackleton because obviously Randolph Fiennes did that journey. You know, he he completed exactly, Shackleton's yeah. journey that Shackleton didn't do. So he's got a unique perspective on what's going on down there because he knows, you know, he didn't just nibble around the edges like me. He actually did it, and um, and that was that was absolutely phenomenal I love talking to people like that that do things probably the rest of us would be too scared or would be too daunted by or would think nah I can't do that or I can't put myself through that and that these people that are yeah, utterly he single-minded really sell me on on going across Antarctica on my own you know because <laughs> he was also on, on my podcast <laughs> yeah he's, he isn't either he's just wonderful wonderful an absolute joy and he doesn't have a mobile phone <laughs> I know <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it just shows you that you can survive without a mobile phone quite yeah. well and you can excel yeah, exactly. in whatever you want to do even though you don't have one maybe that's why we haven't crossed antarctica on too busy on twitter it's... too busy watching cats <laughs> falling over on whatsapp or whatever or instagram exactly. or whatever exactly. <laughs> so chapter four is the big one your all-time favorite destination Lorraine where would you pick you know this was so hard because obviously Antarctica is is the one and I'm going back but Steve and I my husband um for quite some time since probably the 90s have been going to Africa southern Africa um like mm-hmm. Botswana and Zambia and Tanzania and Namibia and the last time we went we became we were very adventurous and we hired a jeep and we slept on top of the jeep. You know, you can turn it into a wee sort of tent. And we slept on top of that. And we basically could just go wherever we want. Because what we've been noticing in all the times that we've been, and we've been on safari, um, is that it's getting very crowded. And sadly, the animals are getting scarcer and scarcer. And it was one time that we went, before we decided to go on our own and, and, and go camping, that there was like just a, a few, there was one little cheetah. And we were driving past, um, or the guide was driving past, the was in the back, it was about five was in the back. And all these fans were around this poor little animal and it was frightened. And we were stopping it from getting its food. And I said, no, I'm not yeah. doing this anymore. It's so, usually we've been very lucky. We've gone to really small places, really tiny. Um, but I don't, I think, you know, disturb these creatures as, as the least, uh, you know, give them their space. It's their space. That's where they live. We are the yeah. visitors. Yeah, Therefore, yeah. we have to show them respect. And I think if you go on your own, obviously you've got to be sensible. You, you can't, you know, you've got to be very aware of where you are and you've got to be, you know, we, we did have a sat-nav phone, but you've got to be careful. You know, you have. But wow, it was amazing. I mean, we were driving along this sandy road in Botswana and we saw these, it looked like bricks in the road, like big rocks in the road. I said, oh my goodness, what's that? And it was lions. It was a pride of lions on the road. They were just the way that they were and the way the sun was hitting our eyes. We couldn't really see. We were, so we stopped, obviously. Of course, stayed in. You never get out, you never break. You know, you're fine if you're in your big truck, but if you stepped out, you're not. Yeah. And we just sat there for hours watching. It was, uh, um, I think it was three lionesses, about four or five cubs, 
and the big guy under the tree, you know, the big, the huge, big male wow. who was just, who got up now and again, sort of, you know, scratched his bottom and then fell back down again. <laughs> it was just, wow. it was astonishing it was just such a privilege to to, to be there and we How wonderful I and nice it. to be in control of what like you're doing as yeah. well because you're yeah you could stop you, you know what I mean you're not kind of yeah. stop you could stop like, when you mm-hmm, wanted mm-hmm, and go mm-hmm, wherever mm-hmm. it was great it was great and Botswana is a beautiful country absolutely stunning you know all all of that that whole area is beautiful and we did oh I know that was an, an amazing experience it was extraordinary we went to Uganda to see the gorillas you know you have to obviously um you pay a certain amount of money quite rightly and um, you obviously make sure that you give um one of the guides because that's how they make their living and they're incredible and you need them to help you up the, up the hills because it's quite you know it's the jungle um, and i will never yeah, forget a track that. involved quite uh, yeah yeah you have to be sort of you know yeah, yeah you, you do but we were going quite slow because one of the people in our group so it's only groups about eight or ten. You can't have more. And one of the people in our group, um, he had cancer. He had cancer, he had a, a brain tumour. And he wasn't sure how long he had left. And obviously, he'd always wanted to go and see gorillas. It was right at the top of his, his oh. list. And we got to mm-hmm. where we were. We all sat down, as you do, you know, with the great... Like, like David Attenborough did, do you remember? You'll sit down. Way away from them. We don't want to be giving them any nasty bugs. So we're away from them. But this female gorilla came over to us and the guide said, if they come to you, just be very still. They're very curious. But obviously, don't take any photos. Don't annoy them. Just sit very still. It came over to this man who had the brain tumour and she put her hand on his head. Exactly. I know. I know. I could not believe my eyes. It was the most extraordinary experience. He was crying. His wife was crying. We were all just like, it was astonishing. Now, I don't know that she, whether that beautiful animal knew anything, right? Or whether she knew that this oh, man oh, must have done. was probably, you know, didn't have much more time left. And I don't know whether she wanted to show compassion or empathy or whatever it was. But honestly, you should have seen his face. I've never seen anything like it. It was Even now, it gives me goosebumps and I want to cry. Oh, it, it gives was, me goosebumps. No, it was so incredibly beautiful. And what? What amazing animals! Their eyes are. When you've looked and you know you looked into the eyes of these beautiful things, you shouldn't really. You're supposed to be. You know, you're supposed to sort of. It's like the queen. You're not supposed to look at the queen. <laughs> Don't look in the eyes. Uh, but that was quite incredible. And and I'm. Again, you know, I don't. I've got that in my mind. That image that it will be with me forever. It was just remarkable, incredible. What an wonderful experience. Obviously, you have a real passion for wildlife. Is that a real important part of your yeah. picking where you're going to go? Yeah, sure. And trying to be, um, you know, as green as you can. Like, I mean, obviously, if you're going on a long haul flight, that's a massive carbon footprint, isn't it? So, you know, plant a tree or make a donation, you know, to, to, for someone to plant a tree is, is always, I think, a good idea. We went to, um, we went to Borneo and we went there to see the orangutans we didn't really see very many and actually I find it quite heartbreaking it's just fields and fields and fields of palms for palm oil and these poor things getting and and the only the only orangutans we really saw were rescue ones Um, and obviously you know that they're doing their best um, in these rescue centres for these beautiful beautiful animals and that was pretty heartbreaking and I'd love to be able to to do something about that, you know, it would be, and I think we all have to try and do our bit. We really do. Again, a beautiful, a beautiful country, a very interesting place. But when you're driving through, like it seems it goes on and on and on forever. All these palms, you're know, making palm oil. Yeah, and I, think, Simon oh, Reeve made a documentary about it. Yes, didn't he? yes, that was. And again, that's that's what you've got to do, and just just make sure people know what's good. That's why David Attenborough is so blinking wonderful because he 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 says that message with such compassion and knowledge i mean if anybody's earned the, the right to lecture us about our planet but he doesn't really lecture you he just tells you you know he just tells you it's not like he's giving you, you no know, hectoring us or giving us into trouble he's just stating the facts um and that's so important it really is yeah it really is. Well, chapter five is your hidden gem, a place that you absolutely love that maybe my listeners don't know so much about or a place that's a little bit undiscovered. Yeah, I think I would probably say the wee uh, Hebridean island of Barra. Barra's right at the bottom Ooh. of the Outer Hebrides. And the great thing about Barra is you can go by ferry from Oban, 
I think it takes about four and a half hours. I'm sure that's how long it took us before. Or you can fly and you can fly from Glasgow. And the joy of flying is you land on the beach. It's um, the airport times, <laughs> the flight times are susceptible to the tides. And the beach <laughs> is like, I mean, honestly, apart from the fact that it can be a little bit cold, um, it's it's like the Caribbean, white, white sands, that, that beautiful mm. turquoise blue blue clear sea and um, and it's a beautiful beautiful little island it's absolutely gorgeous there's lots to do I mean you, you know for a long weekend definitely uh, fantastic uh, small little hotels and guest houses lots of good walks and um, you know you can go and be boat trips there's lots of wildlife again but um, I just love the fact that you st- you know you get in you get on the plane in Glasgow and Glasgow's a great city but it's busy 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 and then you replane stops in Barra on the beach and there you are and it's heaven you know the air is beautiful you know that there's going to be a big road and fire and a big glass of whiskey for you in the pub or whatever you want to have you know you can go for a big walk and yes it probably will rain in the morning but then two hours later it'll be sunny and you know the, the weather changes so fast and then you can if you want to take a wee ferry and go right up to the very very top you know go through all the different islands like South Uist and Benbecula and then North Uist and all the way up through Harris um, and Lewis and, and just spend as much time as you like it's just Harris is beautiful as well Harris has got the most amazing beaches those white 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 sands honestly you, you would think that you were you were either in Tahiti or something or, or in the Caribbean really? it's, it's absolutely stunning does it ever get warm like yeah oh but maybe not like in the Caribbean but I have got sunburned <laughs> I have definitely got sunburned in very important places uh, in Harris <laughs> yeah you can because the air is so pure and when the sun shines oh my goodness me there's nothing like it nothing like it and I thoroughly recommend if you ever go to Harris go to um, the distillery and grab yourself some Harris gin it's the best gin in the world they put this um sort of seaweed tincture in it that you can add and it's really i, I can't oh, wow. i mean i know it sounds it sounds weird but it's it sort of it's got that tang of the sea in the gin not overpoweringly you know not overwhelmingly or anything but just the best I've the best the best noted. so yeah i would thoroughly recommend that if you fancy especially if you like planes um especially if you're interested in that and, and if you just want to get away from it all but at the same time, somewhere that's just a delight, then yeah, perfect. You can feel the stress oozing out of your body. <laughs> I mean, that's what I feel with Scotland in general whenever I, well, we did a big road trip around Scotland last summer. Oh, uh, it was my first beautiful. taste of the Highlands and, you know, the amazing landscape yeah. and, and looking out over, you know, the incredible cast alien doted and all of that oh, it's, it's just gorgeous, so, so, and i did feel so calm yeah and, I, and uh, actually after covid it, it was like a real tonic definitely and that's something that i don't get um i hadn't got in my travels in england there was something about the landscape I know what you mean. that really I calmed do. me yeah it's good for the soul you can understand why there's so many so many great poets and writers there's just something about it's hard to put your finger on it isn't it it's just something it just all kind of comes together somehow yeah I, I do feel very yeah at peace at peace I think is mm. what I would say for sure what 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 isn't feeling peaceful at the moment is kind of the global mm. climate mm. and when I was thinking about what I really wanted to talk to you about or understand is you know being on our screens every day during such a tumultuous time in so many different ways, how have you found, especially as you're known as somebody who is very upbeat and warm and happy, um, how have you found navigating these last few years? Because am I right in, would I be right in saying that it must have been the most kind of uh, fraught few years of your journalism career? Such a strange and weird and odd time and it still is you know with everything that's going on it it still is it's just bizarre you know we thought we were coming out of covid and then bouncing right into sadly and and tragically into this horrible situation in in ukraine but the way that the world again has come together obviously 
you know, the, the Russia's become a pariah, which is which is terribly sad because they're ruled by a madman. But um, you know, that that sense of coming together is quite good. And even things like, and I know people make fun of things like the Eurovision Song Contest. And yeah, you know, okay, it's only a song contest, but actually the way the world came together, and of course Ukraine were always going yeah. to win, everybody else was fighting for second place. But that was actually, you know, on the Monday afterwards, we were talking, we did some live links with people in Ukraine, you know, and they were just saying, do you know what? This means the world. It means such a lot that you're thinking of us. That's all. Thanks. You know, and even if it made people... Because it was the people's vote, yeah, wasn't it? It was, it was the audience vote yeah, exactly. that, that made it swing. Exactly. And even if that made them feel good for five minutes, that's great. That's just great. You know, it yeah. really is. It's it's, yeah. it's it's good. But yeah, it's hard to see some light sometimes in situations like that. And again, you've, I always feel you've got to hold on to that. You know, there's amazing tales of humanity and, and incredible acts of bravery. And, you know, as well as reporting the, the, the horrendous figures of, of death, destruction, all of that, you've always got to find the glimmer of hope. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and we're in this time where, where there, it seems like there's an inability for leaders to really be held to account like never before like oh I've never known anything like it I agree yeah <laughs> yeah I agree how do you um maintain your calm when you uh, when you encounter that it's difficult and I think I think what's happened is we don't trust government generally and we don't trust politicians generally which is terribly sad because I know personally a lot of politicians of of all parties who are only trying to do their best but of course that gets overshadowed by the crooks and the charlatans and the you know the the, the disgusting sexual predators and um, who are actually quite a small a small proportion but obviously they're the ones that get all the attention and I don't know how politicians are going to get our trust back because once you lose that, it's really, really difficult to get that back. Um, certainly I've never known in, in my career, and I've been doing this for a long, long time, I've never known this sort of level of sheer incompetence and blatant lying. You know, it, it's it, it's jaw-dropping and I can't believe that they get away with it day after day after day. It's it's quite extraordinary I've never known anything like it because when I first started out you would have like say you were doing a I don't know okay maybe you were doing rather a dull conversation about transport or something or whatever very important but you know it's not going to exactly people aren't exactly being riveted by it but you would get the minister for transport and you would get the shadow minister and the two of them would come on the sofa and you would have a chat and everybody would go off and we would come to some sort of understanding they might never agree but viewers at home would at least have got the full picture now for me it becomes mm -hmm very much it's very gladiatorial particularly among men mm. you know it's this kind of alpha male thing where you've got the prime minister is interviewed by whoever and let's see who can score the most points I can't be bothered with that I thought the best political interview I've seen for many a year was Susanna Susanna Reid our Susanna Reid who who does the show before me who's brilliant interviewing Boris Johnson and she just she made it so human and she brought it down she brought the whole thing down to you know the cost of living and all that how it affects us and he couldn't handle it. Prime Minister couldn't handle it. He didn't know what right. to do. He didn't. He couldn't identify with with them. Um, you know the people that she was talking about who were struggling. The individual stories that she shared. Exactly. She was extremely yeah. respectful, and it wasn't a shouting match. She gave him time to answer, and it was devastating. You know, she he just she, she was brilliant. Without she tore him a new one. She tore him a new one exactly, <laughs> but in the most lovely, elegant way that only she can. Um, and you know, underestimate breakfast TV presenters at your peril. I think is what Susanna proved. Yeah, very much so. Completely. Very much so. I mean. That ended, of course, in the what's now kind of infamous who, Who's Lorraine? <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Honestly, that tickled me so much. Why should you know who I am, for goodness sake? It doesn't matter. I think people were very outraged on my behalf, which is very kind. My instant reaction was he knows exactly who you are and that he was trying to deflect maybe, from maybe. what had just happened before. They, they do tend to do that with it, and it did sort of work to an extent. They do tend to throw the dead cat on the table, as it's called. Look, there's a dead yes. cat, everyone. Let's have a look, you know, at that. Maybe, because I have met him a few times, but obviously I made a massive impression on him. <laughs> <laughs> no. Let's move on to the penultimate yeah. chapter. Oh, um, and that Ruby, is... That's Ruby, you can hear. I'm so sorry. Ruby Roo, behave. You've Don't had your tea. Worry. Behave, girl. It was Ruby's birthday the other day. It was day. Ruby's birthday the other day, and my daughter had a party for it. In, in Rosie's defence, um, it was like all the birthdays that we'd missed. And actually, a pet party is amazing. All you do is give them a few bowls of water, a couple of bones or some treats, and, you know, they get on with it. They sort of 
whittle all over the place and sniff <laughs> each other's bottoms and they're happy. Very low maintenance. <laughs> Just like any other factory. <laughs> so actually, it was quite, it was good. It was sweet. It was a little bit of fun. A little bit of much needed fun. How lovely. It's very good. So your worst travel experience is chapter six or the place that you'd never go back to, one or t'other. Worst. Ooh. Um, I think my worst travel experience, but again, it was because we didn't have any money. Um, it was in the 80s and we went to Tunisia and got the worst food poisoning. And I never get food poisoning. I mean, we went to Rajasthan for three weeks, just the year before the pandemic. I love India. It's, it's Again, it's like being in a movie. I just could sit and just watch everything that's unfolding. And Rajasthan is like the colour and the food, everything. And I, I ate everything that was going. I had curry, breakfast, lunch and tea. I was in my element and I was fine. Mm-hmm. So I've got a pretty strong stomach, but we went to Tunisia, we got badly, badly poisoned. Um, and I think that obviously is going to put you off. And the fact that we didn't have much money. Totally. And I'm not very good at the whole bartering thing. And it was my first experience of that, really. Because um, like I say, it was in the 80s. And, you know, going around to a market and a guy's got your, your trainer off and putting a shoe on you to buy. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want, and I just want you to tell me what the price is and I'll give it to you. I'm not, I, I don't, I can't do yeah. it. I can't do it. I really can't. I'd rather just say you what I think's fair. You might think, hey, I've got a great deal here. That's fine, but I can't stand and haggle with you over, you know, like 50 pence mm-hmm. or whatever. Because <laughs> my brother, my brother was living in India and we went over to, to my brother's place. And um, <laughs> it was so funny. This wee man was selling maps and I love a map. I just love a map. I've got maps everywhere of things. <laughs> And then um, he, he said, oh, this is whatever it was. The equivalent was a couple of quid. And I went, oh, son, that's too cheap to the wee man. And my brother went, don't say that. Don't say that. I said, but it is. It's really cheap. I'm going to give him more. And he's like, no, you don't do that because that's not how it works. And I was like, no, but I don't care because I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm very happy to pay him a couple of quid for this fantastic map of India. And I don't care if he thinks, ha, ha, ha. I think that's good. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, he said, you are not living there, I guess. Anyway, he said, you are the worst (laughs) person. I'm never taking you out again ever. (laughs) You're hopeless. But yeah, I've do. i got a big collection of maps. I I love them, especially really, really old ones. They're really good. Lorraine, you've literally taken us all over the world today. (laughs) What an incredible episode. Chapter seven is the final chapter, and that is the destination that is at the top of your travel bucket list. Well, I think that would have to be, I think, the Arctic. I think if I can go to Mongolia and then Siberia, and then if I can go right up to where the polar bears are, I think that would be that would be my next one. Great route up. I think I'd love to go to Mongolia. Yeah, just go to Mongolia. Go to, I mean, Russia is, you know, Russia is obviously at the moment, it's, it's a nightmare and it's so, so sad. But your actual average Russian person is okay. It's more than okay. You know, they're just people that I was trying to go in with their lives. It's, it's not their fault that they're ruled by by nutters. Um, but yeah, I'd, li- I'd love to go to go back. I went to Russia a long, 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 long time ago because I studied Russian at school um, when I was yeah. a kid. And so, because I was That's supposed so to do that unusual, by uni. the way, isn't it? I know, That's I know. And I was just, I was in our local comprehensive school. Um, there was about a thousand and about a thousand pupils in Claremont High School in East Kilbride. And I think three of us did Russian. But what a great opportunity that we were able to do that. It was fantastic. So yes. I'd love to go back. I'd lo- I really would love to go back because when I went, it was still, for goodness sake, so long ago, it was still the Soviet Union. And so it's completely changed now. And, and of course, right now is not the best time to go. But I would really, really, I really want to go to, to Mongolia and experience that. My brother went and he said it was amazing. So it was absolutely really? incredible. Just so different and so, and again, the people are, people are fantastic, so welcoming. And yeah, that'd be That'll be good. Okay, That's in the top of the list. Wonderful. But the list is a long, long list. I mean, gosh, the world is so big and so much to see. So much to see. <laughs> oh, well, I really hope that you're able to get there someday soon and that we can watch it all documented on your on your phone <laughs> on, on the on the show. We'll be tuning in 100%. Thank you so much, Lorraine, for your time. Those were your travel diaries. And I loved it. Thank you. Oh, what a joy to chat to the icon that is Lorraine Kelly. You can listen to Lorraine's podcast that she records with her daughter Rosie called What If, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening today. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you're using Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. 
If you're loving the podcast, it would be amazing if you could take a minute to leave a rating or review on your podcast app. To find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. And if you can't wait till then, remember there's six seasons you can catch up on. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And I'll be back next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 